0: The digital world continues to evolve at a rapid pace, and customer expectations have risen, and the user experience must now match the rising tide of their needs. So, while cloud has made it faster and easier to deliver services, the same just can't be said for troubleshooting and solving issues caused by cloud connectivity. That is, until now.
1: Cloud AI changes both the experience between the business and his customer and between the business and his vendor. From a customer to business point of view, what it really ends up is fewer support tickets. So at that level, AI is basically proactively finding problems ahead of time. And when you reduce the number of support tickets, that basically translates into a better user experience.
0: Bob Friday is the co-founder and CTO of Mist, a Juniper company. Mist is deploying artificial intelligence via the cloud to help revolutionize the world of IT. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Bob delves into how the Mist Cloud Network is helping companies save time and money with network automation while also delivering a reliable and efficient network that creates a valuable customer experience. Plus, he previews the future of automated assistance in IT.
1: IT Visionaries is created by the team at Mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere, with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com/platform.
0: Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries and today we have the CTO and co-founder of Mist, Bob Friday. Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Great
1: to be here. All right, right out the gate, what exactly is Mist? Yeah, so the, the venture started for those who know me, right? My my background is wireless and networking. And uh, you know, so I started co-founded a company called Airspace, you know, 15, 20 years ago. You know, and when there we were kind of trying to help the enterprise guys take care of all these wireless controllers. That's back when Wi-Fi was kind of a nice to have, becoming a must-have. Then Cisco bought that company, and so I was at Cisco, and really the Mist Adventure started when I was at Cisco talking to some very big, some big retail customers, you know, and they were kind of telling me. And this is where they were kind of putting the uh, mobile apps, right? They were starting to build mobile apps for consumers. And they were putting robots onto these networks. And this is what I call kind of the, that shift from not, not nice must-have to a business-critical type of thing. And there were three things these guys told me. One was, Bob, you got to stop your software from crashing. <laughs> you know? Two, they wanted me to keep up with the mobile device, right? You know, they were building all these consumer apps, and those were getting code every week and the network was still you know, one release a year, so they wanted me to innovate faster on the network. And three, they really wanted me to you know, provide them end-to-end visibility, right? It was really about, you know, it wasn't good enough to tell them that the AP was working anymore. They really want to know, do they have a happy user at the end of that connectivity, right? User to the internet. You know, so that was where MIS kind of started right from the, the thesis that you know, networking really needed kind of a new cloud architecture, you know, and the cloud is what really brought speed, right? Turns out the cloud is just a much better way of developing software and maintaining software. And then the AI piece was really a piece that kind of provided that end-to-end visibility, right? This is, you know, we're gonna ingest data from all the different pieces to kind of answer the questions of why are you having a bad user experience? And yeah, you know, I would tell you one of the inspirations for Myths was, I don't know, do you guys remember the Watson, Watson playing Jeopardy? You remember that thing where they, they built something they could play Jeopardy?
0: Yeah, I remember. Well, so I I remember Watson when, I don't know when it first came out, or when they started doing promotions like that. I, I saw Watson had to outcook a chef. I saw Watson play chess against chess masters. And I do recall Watson in Jeopardy. They also put it into other... Skill competitions against people. So they did some really cool stuff with it. Um, I don't know if it was actually that effective or it was just to get Watson out there and be like, hey, this AI can beat people. Uh, but I do remember loosely the, the
1: Watson versus Jeopardy. Yeah. So that, that's when I decided, guys, you know, if, if they could build something that can play Jeopardy, you know, on par with Ken Jennings and some Jeopardy champions, you know, we should be able to build something that can really answer questions and manage networks on par with IT domain experts. Yeah. Right. Then, you know, that's when I kind of had that inspiration of this AI stuff is really becoming real. There's something to it. There's more than marketing hype behind it. Yeah. So can you explain for
0: our audience why a network needs to have AI in mind? Because I think we all, so networks, one of those things, whenever it comes up on IT visionaries, we know that the audience or a lot of the consumer base kind of takes it for granted. It's kind of widely assumed. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but it's kind of widely assumed by many consumers that wherever they go, they're going to have rock solid Wi-Fi access. It's just like a de facto assumption. And we think we can think about the use case applications of many different things. Uh, We'll just, I'll just use an amusement park for now because people walk around with their maps and they just assume automatically that the Wi-Fi throughout the park is just rock solid, rock stable, rock solid, stable connection can handle, you know, they don't even think about it. There might be a hundred thousand, 200,000 people in the park. doesn't matter. They just assume it works.
1: You know, it's funny you think about it, right? You know, if you look at where we are right now, you know, when you look at the, clean water and power, you know, 90% of the population in the world now has clean water and power. It's still amazing. 10% don't. But mobile internet is becoming such an economic necessity, you know, for citizens and nations and everything. You know, I think the prediction is 66% of everyone is going to be connected to the internet here by 2023 type of thing, right? You know, and you're right. So people start to expect the internet to be there on par with their power and their water thing. You know, so that's kind of the beginnings of why this AI You know, as these networks become more complex, it's getting to the point where a single person can't keep track of all the complexities, right? I mean, the days when you got your Cisco CCIE thing, you know, and basically everything was under your control, right? Everything was inside the firewall. You know, we're starting to see things go outside firewalls, right? It's becoming a very complicated world, you know, when you're connected to your network and then you're going to Microsoft Office 365, you know, the path between you and the application is becoming much more complicated than it used to be in our, you know, when you and I were kids.
0: And then talk about why that created the need you saw for an AI. Kind of if you could, if you could for our audience, walk us through what did a network look like prior to Mist and what what made you see like, hey, there's an opportunity to change the way it functions.
1: Yeah, you know, as I'm saying, you know, 20 years ago, you know, I founded the company, this aerospace company, right? And you know, back then we were basically helping enterprises manage access points, you know, and we were basically shipping software on these one U Linux boxes, right? We give them a controller and help them manage that. And that story I told you is a true story, right? You know, what happened was when I started talking to these big retail customers, you know, they truly like, they need more software reliability, right? They're like, hey, we can't have have this stuff crashing on us and you got to keep up faster. You know, you got to be able to release code at the same rate at which, you know, my mobile app developers are releasing code. And third, where the AI came from was the end-to-end visibility. You know, they really didn't want, you know, it was, they didn't really want me to help them manage that AP or that router or that switch anymore. They really wanted help on managing the end-to-end user experience, right? And that is really where the need for AI ops of, you know, okay, when you're trying to manage, you know, from the device all the way to some application in the cloud, you know, that turns out to be a very complicated problem. If something goes wrong, you know, as you know, right, it, it's usually not the network, right? It's usually the device, it's usually DHP, DNS. There are so many things that could go wrong on that connection now between you and your application. That's where you need something that's in the background, sifting through all these log files and all the data, helping you try to make sense of it and correlate for you all the possibilities. Yeah. Let's talk about one of those retail examples,
0: because I think for most people, when they think of retail, they think of it as a relatively, I don't know, simple business operation, you have a store, you have a footprint, you have what needs in Wi-Fi, the terminals, the cashier terminals need Wi-Fi. But outside of that, all the other things, I think a lot of consumers maybe take for granted, kind of walk us through, if you could, all the high demand, high access point applications necessary to run a big box retail operation.
1: Yeah. So if you look at me, you look at retail, right? You know, and it started with Amazon, right? So almost all the retail is becoming is becoming more of a converged e-commerce in-store experience, right? And the other aspect that has changed is really the apps, right? You know, in, in our experience, right, we all were very familiar with our for us who tra- used to travel, right? You know, we all had our airline app, right? That was kind of like you didn't go anywhere without your airline app. What's happening in the retail space now is that mobile app experience is starting to become more common, and with COVID, it actually became even a little bit more common because now you see a lot of big retailers are into pickup, right? You order things and then you drive up, and you don't get out of your car. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're starting to see big retail stores starting to do the drive-by delivery type of thing, non-touchless type of thing. You know, so when you start to get in those experiences, that is where the networking really becomes more of a business critical. you can almost think about these retails, enterprise, they're almost becoming mini SPs, right? You know, they're in the business between our cellular connection, you know, and our Wi-Fi connection in the store. You know, they're in the business now of making sure that you have connectivity because usually there is a business critical app, you know, for you to complete your experience in the, uh, in the shopping experience. You know, so I don't know about yourself, but, you know, I used to never have shopping apps on my phone. Now, you know, now I've got my grocery store app on my phone, right? When I pick up my food, you know, I want to be able to schedule it.
0: It's also at the associate level too, because the associates now that are, let's say, in charge of grabbing the items to load up an order, they all have mobile devices typically helping them walk through, let's say, a store map, right. helping them guide them to products on shelves to say, hey, this person wants, you know, an avocado, this person wants a spatula, and this person wants diapers for their baby, you know, and helping the guide that I see. this associates are now looking down on their phones, walking through the store aisles to pick, pick, pack, and ship goods. And like you talked about, it's integrated with the e-commerce application. So it knows that, hey, this diaper went off the shelf. It's the last diaper. I have to tell my e-commerce platform, we got no more for store pickup today until, you know, someone scans it in tomorrow off the loading dock and it tells my e-commerce or I guess my inventory application, hey, we got diapers again, retail them again back on the dot com.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, so, I mean, the associates are becoming a more important thing. I mean, the other, the other strange dynamic that's happening in this world is, is The shoppers are getting much more educated before they come in the store. I mean, so the other key thing I've seen with a lot of the retailers now is helping the associate get to data quicker, right? You know, because a lot of the customers coming in almost know more about the product than the associate, you know? So the associate now needs to be able to get quickly, get information about a product that he may or may not know, you know, to help the customer out. So tell me about how
0: an AI driven network helps this, because if I think, You know, so if I don't know too much about networks, I would just assume, oh, well, if you get, you know, enterprise routers everywhere, then you have multiple endpoints. If each router can handle, let's say, 100 connections, then I just need, you know, X times square footage and I just multiply that out and I'm just set up these routers and I'm good to go. I don't need AI. How does AI change the game for at the user experience level when it comes to networking?
1: Yeah. So the interesting thing is, you know, cloud AI changes both the experience between, you know, the business and his customer in between the business and his vendor, you know, between you know, the, the store or the hospital or the bank, from a customer to business point of view, what it really ends up is fewer support tickets, right? So, so at that level, AI is basically proactively finding problems ahead of time. And when you reduce the number of support tickets, that basically translates into a better user experience, right? End users basically get a better experience because there's less support, less things to complain about. You know, a good, a good example of a proactive case is, you know, we were in a big retail store, you know, where they were going through, and this is classic, right? You know, the users couldn't connect to the network, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and they really didn't have visibility into that. You know, but what had happened in that case there is someone had misconfigured a router somewhere, and that is where AI was able to correlate, you know, a config change over here with some sort of user experience problem, right? You know, the AP was still fine but the user couldn't get connected, right? It couldn't get authenticated. And so that's kind of a classic point where someone's connected to the network but can't move data, right? And that's very irritating, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, you're connected, but I still can't move data for some reason. You know, so that's a case where AI you know, can quickly figure out that, hey, you know, this configuration is stopping users from connecting, right? You quickly sense that there's a user connection problem going on in the store, and then you're quickly trying to correlate that to some network feature. Uh, and that's where all the math really makes a difference, right? You've got a user experience variable, and you may have 50 network features that affect that experience. You know? And this is what they call mutual information. This is kind of a data mining technique. And that's where, where you can start applying that. You actually can start finding problems you know, quicker than you know before the human even realizes they're a problem.
0: So is the AI actually solving the config problems uh, on behalf of the user so that you know, in the old world, like you said maybe someone submits a service ticket. Of course, no one's going to submit a service ticket inside of a retail operation. They're just getting frustrated, hands up, and walk out. (laughs) Is the AI now solving these connections, like reconfiguring DNSs or whatever needs to be done in order to to make sure the user can connect to the application that they're looking for?
1: Yeah. Probably the good use case is the missing VLAN, right? We're getting to the point where we are now detecting, you know, when you roam to an AP that doesn't have the VLAN behind it, that becomes a black hole. You know, that we can start to we can start to detect and we can start to configure automatically. Now I would say what we're seeing with uh, these AI assistants, you know, I kind of treat them as like, you know, anyone else you join, you know, if if you're no one in IT, most IT admins don't trust anyone, whether it's an AI assistant or uh, his new employee, you know, so you can kind of think of these AI assistants or new employees coming on the staff, they have to earn the trust of the IT administrator, you know, so what's happening is the AI assistant will come back, you know, it looks like, you know, you've got missing VLANs here and here and here on your switches and they're asking permission, right? You know, and what's happening is the IT administrator finally gets the point, okay, I trust you now, you know, don't ask me more. This issue, you know, either configure it, if you can fix it, configure it or issue the support ticket to fix it. I guess, what is
0: the net result impact for a, for a company after they implement A system like mist do they start seeing is it on the support ticket level because that's one thing i'm always curious about is do people actually submit support tickets for this like i guess the logs of course are tracking missed connections but because i'm trying to think if i was in a retail operation or in my other use case was an amusement or entertainment operation if i can't connect maybe just throw my shoulders up and just say oh forget it i'll just rely on my my cell network let's say i'll just rely on my lte connection
1: well I would say the end users, you know, but I would, you know, like if you have robots in your distribution center, oh. you know, there's the, would tell you, yeah, we 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 get a phone call very quickly when the robots stop moving, um, or you get a call very quickly when the point of sale, you know, the associates can't do mobile point of sales. So I would say that is the impact of fewer support tickets. You know, so at a customer level, right, they get support tickets from their end users, even from the consumers, right. We had a case where. A big retailer had to fly all the way to California, right? Because they were getting complaints from the store. You know, they were complaining about the mobile app. You know, hey, customers are complaining about the mobile app in the store. You know, and what it turned out to be it was a, it wasn't even a Wi-Fi; it was a cellular problem, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and so this is a case where you know the the first benefit of getting Miss for most customers, even before the AI, is the visibility it brings. Because you know, when you think about trying to build a AI assistant. Our first thing is we have to get the data back to the cloud and we have to get into some framework on which we can apply some data science. Two things happen, it tends to be very structured. You, know, you have to get this data in a very structured, and you have to make sure the data is good if we're gonna do these algorithms on it. It turns out that the average IT admin appreciates that, You know, because sometimes a human can sort it out, right? If you give the human, give some person the data, they can recognize the problem very quickly too, if it's an easy problem to recognize. So that that is the first thing that most people who start the journey on AI see is the fact they have visibility that they've never had before.
0: So how did, let's let's walk a little bit back into your background. You kind of gave a hint at it earlier when you described what you where you'd been. Tell us about what your background is. How did you first get into networking? Or I don't even know. Is your background more networking or is it more, have you leaned more recently into artificial intelligence and solving the problems that used to exist in networking, but used to require it, like you said? uh you know a cisco certified engineer
1: had to fix it now you're saying no no no, no. we can fix it through software yeah that I means so if you go back far enough in my background i started off as a software engineer and uh you know my, fr- my first startup was Metrocom ricochet building these big nationwide mesh networks you know and that's where i became a i started building radios and i would tell you that's one thing i've learned in my career you could probably anybody you have enough passion or enough drive you can do anything so i went from a software engineer the building radios became a wireless engineer, you know, and then I became a system engineer. Then I went to Cisco and became a CTO, you know, so my background has been kind of a software into uh, wireless networking. And then I would say, I don't know if it's 2014. As I'm saying, when I got into the AI stuff, that was probably when I was at Cisco, when I started to see, you know, this math stuff was actually going to make a difference. Cause I had done neural networks back in my masters, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, I, I built a neural network to do something with radios, detection, demodulation stuff. And I would say, so neural networks have been around for a while in deep learning. I had been at Cisco and I'd done part of the, I don't know if you, I think you're familiar with Meraki yep. and kind of the cloud managed Wi-Fi story. So I was part of that. I was at Cisco when we did the acquisition of Meraki and that was good, right? That was kind of the beginnings of cloud, you know, how cloud could simplify the whole management of networking. But what it didn't do, it really, and you know, what Rocky had not done, was really build a architecture that could process data real time, you know. And that's one reason why I left Cisco, right? Is because I could see, hey, you know, there's an architectural change happening in the industry here between cloud and AI, you know. And when you look at big companies, you know, I've been at big companies, small companies, you know. And what I learned is, you know, it's hard for big companies to adapt to architectural changes, you know. And that's when I decided, hey, you know, this is. This is one of those problems that's easier to go raise money and get a blank sheet of paper than it is, you know, try to, then trying to bolt things together inside of a large company.
0: So when you, like you said, when you first went to start maybe fundraising for the, for the MIST system, uh, what would eventually become MIST? Did people understand what you were talking about? Did they understand what your vision was or did they have a hard time where you took a lot of explaining? Like, hey, this is the problem. Here's what I see at Cisco. This is what needs to happen in order for, you know, AI to help enable solving the problems uh, that are f- commonly found in networking.
1: Yeah, I think I would say when Sujani started raising money, I thought the the, the general response was "you're crazy." <laughs> there's no need for another wireless company. You know, there's plenty of little wireless. You know, we got we got Cisco, Aruba. We have plenty of wireless companies. Why you, you know Why are you doing another wireless company? I would say it took a while. I mean, it took a while for people to understand that we had some inside knowledge of the architectural change. Right. You know, I think once we got a couple of the investors. To understand that there really was an architectural change in both the cloud, moving to the cloud, and basically building pipelines that could support AI, that took a little bit of a leap of faith, right? For people to kind of see that vision of, you know, we were going to disrupt the market. When you first started pitching this pitch, did uh, did people hold your age against you? Well, no, I, I'd done, you know, because I'd done, you know, I'd done Ricochet and, and Aerospace. I'd done a couple startups already. I would say, yeah, startups it tends to be a young man sport you know we were probably the uh, above the average age for startup startup founders. Yeah,
0: I didn't know if that there, there was a it was a problem because 2014 is like right around the time I feel like it was like peak social media acquisition. Like companies like Instagram getting acquired for a billion bucks, you know, uh, with just 10 employees or something like that. It just felt like around that time frame if I age you know if I if I think back cuz we were I was in the social media marketing space. It just seemed like all these young hotshot companies were getting all the attention. So I didn't know if that played a role in, you know, you were leaving Cisco, you're presenting this new concept, you already said it, like you're going to go against the Titans. It's not even like you're, you're not breaking, you know, you're breaking new ground, but you're also breaking new ground against Titans in the industry. So I didn't know if that, you know, all, all those factors
1: got in the way. I mean, I would say those were all, I mean, I would say it's easier to start companies that are pure software, you know, companies that have a hardware component, you know, there's a smaller number of investors who want to deal with hardware in their startups, right? So we did have that piece. I think these, the software piece, I think they understood it. it was like, you know, do you really, do you really have to build an access point? You know, and my argument back then was, you know, if we're going to solve this problem of trying to answer, you know, build something that can answer questions on part of network domain experts, you know, it's all about the data, mm-hmm. you know, and I want you know, and that data comes from the edge. Right. So I wanted to make sure that you know, we actually had control of the data source. I didn't. I didn't want my fate in the hands of Cisco and HP. Right, asking them, hey, "Can you guys please give me the right data?" That sounds like a very risky thing. So, you know, so that's one of the things we had to get over. Is yes, so we need to build these access points. Not because I thought the market needed another access point, it's because I want to make sure I can control the data that that was coming our way.
0: Yeah, that's a common thing that we talk to different uh, software leaders when they try to integrate or rely on other systems. They talk about how, like, what kind of data points are actually available through the APIs, and if they're not available, then what do you do? So you already had the foresight to say, hey, listen, if we don't have the access point, there's a problem. We're always going to be, let's say, running into barriers. Right. So you also had to raise money for, for like you said, the manufacturing of the hardware in addition to the software that was going to power this hardware.
1: Right. And so I mean, that that's something you had to have, you know, fortitude of saying, yes, you guys, we need to do this, you know, because it'd been easier to raise money without the hardware, right? There are more investors who, you know, if it's a pure software play, that's an easier easier way, you know, easier money raised, and, you know, Hey, we have to go build, you know, why do you have to really go build this hardware, this hardware piece?
0: <laughs> so how, how many years or months did it go, did pass before you had a, let's say a working prototype that you wanted to bring to a production customer?
1: I mean, I, we had product, you know, we started the company, I think found it. You know, I left Cisco in 2014. I mean, Susan and I had money. We raised money by 20, probably the end of 14. So we were up and running and, and, you know with engineering in 2015 and we had product shipping in 2016 the beginnings of product i would say we didn't have the ai piece shipping in 2016 what we had was the beginnings of the data piece and that's what i'm saying customers found a lot of value in just that piece alone you know this is the fact that we had the data available for them to look at that had value right up the front you know and that's kind of how we got that's how we got started with the first release First release of the product in 2016.
0: so the uh, you mentioned they saw value in it right away was did that mean that they were able to take that data, use APIs, call it directly to the people who needed to troubleshoot the solutions yeah and if, if that's the case, what was it like prior i mean what was it really that hard to get access to that information, or did it just require so much troubleshooting that it was it a you
1: know a time time time
0: scale problem?
1: You know, I'd say that, you know the first value they got out of it was really around cloud APIs and automation, you know. So, a lot of the large customers we had, and you, know, and you think about, you know, if you look at Mist and where we, you know, in some of the Fortune 10 companies we had up front, you know, that's kind of evidence that there was a big architectural change happening I mean, because these big, large customers, what they found is that they could basically deploy like 50 stores at night, where before they were lucky to get two stores at night because they were able to automate everything. They were able to build kits that could go around the world, drop those kits into a store in India or in Europe somewhere. And basically have that whole store up and running, you know, without any hands-on stuff. You know, they had basically got everything to be cookie cutter the same, you know, connect AP, run the script, and it's up and running. And so that was the first value proposition it was just getting data to the cloud by itself had a lot of value to customers.
0: Curiously, were you on the front lines selling this and getting this implemented in these organizations?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, with any startup, right? Yeah. I mean, the general thing is the first year is all about building the product. The second year is really about founder sales, you know, because if the founders can't sell it, you really can't expect a sales team to sell it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the first couple of things are really just the founders selling it, selling it themselves. Right. You got to sell it yourself because then you have the challenge. OK, maybe, you know, OK, you're a founder, you can sell it, you know, but can you get a sales team to sell it? You know, so that's the next challenge in most of these adventures. Right. Is OK, now it's like, let's see if we can figure out how to scale this.
0: The reason why I ask is because a lot of enterprise companies are amazingly risk adverse, you know, especially let's, let's, let's use re, the retail example. It's like more things can go wrong than good. Right. They got tight margins. They don't know who you are exactly. You say, Hey, I got this AI enabled device or the AI is not even there yet. You got this device. I think I can get you hooked up and all your connection points connected faster than anything else. Uh, they don't know your name. What what were are the selling points? I guess that gave the, the big customers' confidence that said, okay, I'm going to give Bob, I'm going to give his company Mist a try because it is one of those things where, uh, of course, you don't want to overinvest in something that doesn't work. We've talked to some founders who try to sell to, let's say, multi-location businesses or QSRs or anything like that. And they talk about how they always want to implement things extremely slow. They're not really that gung-ho to, you know, of course, spread an application or a technology across their footprint in a, in
1: a fast way. Well, oh, I mean, I, I would say. Our typical, I mean, salesman. We got started was, you know, first of all, you the customer, you know, they they too good to be true, right? You know, that usually lead to, you know, give us a store, give us a floor, you know, and once we got into POC, that's where we basically, you know, most of them got hooked once they saw it in action, you know, then they realized that the architectural change was true, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because historically we're kind of moving them either from a some sort of controller architecture, some sort of embedded software architecture into this microservices cloud architecture. You know, so that that was the first thing is once they saw it in action, you know, then they're like, okay, this is real. This is not, you know, this is more than just, uh, you know, the story is real. This architecture does make a difference. You know, and once we got that working, then it became more of a, you know, can you do this at scale? Okay, you know, you got to work at one store, you know, but I've got, you know, five thousand stores.
0: So, you know, you're now at a different place. Obviously, where do you see in the future of networking going? Specifically, like what you talk about, AI enabled, AI driven networks. What other, I guess, opportunities will this, will this technology unlock in your mind?
1: Well, I, I think you know, from my point of view, I, where I see this headed is, you know, kind of seeing where Juniper now, right? We're basically going to expand this AI ops across. Ingesting data, right, from AP switches, routers, even the devices themselves, right? We're going to bring in the device view into Marvis and the AI piece of it. So I see AI ops becoming kind of a standard part of all IT uh, departments. I do believe that we're going to start to see AI, and I think this is true across all the industries, right you now, whether it's cars or healthcare, right? You know, we're starting to see AI assistance just become a bigger part, you know, like doctors, right? You know, we know that a, these AI assistants can do a better job at diagnosing MRIs, right? You know, so you want your doctor to have an AI assistant and helping him do his diagnosis, right? I think the same thing we're going to see happen on the IT administrators. You know, they're going to start to learn how these a, a, AI assistants can help them. And we're just going to see AI assistants become a standard part of the IT department. And they'll figure out how to use them, you know, to help go through all the data, right? And help to offload some of these. My classic example is bad cables, right? You know, so we've gotten to the point now. It's like we do a pretty good job of finding bad Ethernet cables, which is a really tricky problem, right? If you got to, you know, if your problem is a bad Ethernet cable, that's about the last thing anyone's going to look for.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm just imagining how that was solved back in the day. That has to be a serious pain. Right. This is a serious pain just to identify a cable and remove it. I'm thinking of like a data center. Like imagine a data center where you have one bad cable, like a, I don't know, a mouse bit it. Right.
1: <laughs> right. And that's the problem, right? When you get, those are the weird ones where it's like, you know, it takes you weeks or months, like, cause you never get down to that one. Yeah. You know, we had a classic case where they had some sort of a barcode in it. At, you know, one of these warehouses that they couldn't, you know, it was always intermittent, you know, come and go. When we finally got the, you know, got Marvis and AI kind of running, we were kind of able to locate it down to, it was, you know, it was associated to a particular OS on a, you know, device, right? It was one of these, you know, weird intermediate things that was happening on a particular OS type. And so once we got nailed down there, we could basically get down to, yes, your problem is associated with this OS, this version of the OS. Do you see a future? So like
0: the, the, the example you just gave me of identifying an actual cable in a mass network of saying like, this is the actual bad cable or... Finding, you know, that's, that's troubleshooting, identifying. How about setups and configs? You kind of talked about that earlier. Is there a place where, I don't know, is there a place in the future where, because imagine, so mission's a podcast company, we're all remote, Well, let's say for whatever reason, we decide to get an office and we tell everyone to come in. And instead of having someone come in and network up all the printers and computers, do you ever see a place where your director of IT can just walk in and just, you know, identify all printers. It just finds them all. It's like, connect them. <laughs> like identify all computers, connect them, you know, backups, create a backup network in case one goes down, a failover, yeah. boom, connect them. Right. I need a direct line to this private application yeah. connect it. Like, do you see in, envision this where it takes minutes to just hook everything up versus, you know, the old school way is of course, you know, look, get your printer, go turn it on connect to the network it gives you an ip address go find your computer go type that in you know what I mean? like that that was how it used to be that's how it's done right now
1: you know the same right you know if, you know people who watch star trek you know all that technology you saw on star trek beyond the transporter right almost all that star trek technology has become true right uh-huh. you know so if you look at star trek and kind of the, you know to your point computer you know please give me a connection between all printers and something uh, i do see that day coming where that will be the the aid the role of the AI assistant for IT, right? You'll be like, "Hey, AI assistant, you know, I need to know what's going on between my computers. Is there any, you know, unlawful east-west, you know, traffic going on between my my OT devices?" So I do see that day coming where yes, your AI admin will be like the uh, the computer on the Star Trek, right? You'll be able to ask questions and it'll be able to give you answers. How close do you think you we are to? its it five years away, ten years away? Well, I would say you know, I miss right now. So one of the things, you know, I mean. One of the other things I did at MIST was, which I found is hard to do in large organizations, was besides the architecture, right? Okay, guys, we have to build a cloud architecture of all these real time pipelines, is organizationally. I mean, so organizationally, I missed, we took the data science team and tied it right into our customer support team. You know, because our customer support team looks like a big customer, right? I mean, they're basically got, you know, they have the same problem they're supporting all these customers with the same data in the cloud that the customer has. You know, so that was kind of what I call the, the organizational aspect of solving this problem. So every, every support ticket that comes into NIST right now goes through Marvis. You know, that was kind of the eat your own dog food thesis of uh, making sure. And I would say right now, we're probably up to 70% of all the tickets that come in. Right, and I'll call these hard tickets, not the easy, uh, you know, how do you configure an AP questions. These are the, you know, why are we having a problem questions. We're probably to the point where Marvis can answer about 70% of those questions now. That's a lot. Seventy percent. Yeah, so we're getting to the point where Marvis can, you know, you know, hey, you know, someone sends a support ticker, you know, what's going, you know, what's going on in the distribution center? Marvis can usually get down to about seventy percent of the time. Get to, you know, the answer is your DNS is down, your DCP is broken, you know, you got a bad cable here, type of problem. You know, so I think the thing that's going to be changing here, or the thing that we're focused on now, is more of the conversational. How do you make Marvis kind of a natural part of the team? You know, how do you make these AI assistants, you know, kind of a natural part of a team that's easy for uh, a person to use, you know, where it's like, you know, because you want to be able to interact with your AI assistant similar to how you interact with a new team member. You want to be able to figure out how to trust it, right? You know, you know it's like Marvis, I need to see your homework. I don't trust you. I don't know you well enough yet. And then, uh, you know, you got to get to be able to take feedback. And that's the other thing we're working on is, you know, how do you train your AI assistant? Like you would train a new employee. This is getting into the real fascinating stuff because, on an execution level, I feel like
0: uh, computer programming is often, or especially when you're not building a new application, like let's say connecting applications, it's a very binary process. It's either connected or not connected. But in order to execute that command, you're talking about if there's any NLP involved, like there's a million ways I could say, "Add a printer." You know what I mean? <laughs> People say, add, add yes. a thing. Do the do it this. Right. You know who knows what else they say. Once that bridge is crossed, where people can actually use colloquial language for to execute
1: commands, is going to be. That's when we go into like, you know, modern day Jarvis. (laughs) And that's why you know startups like Mist. Though you look at we're we're standing on this, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of giants now, right? You know, you look where AI is coming to the point. Right? I don't have to. I don't have to invent all this. Yeah. You know the NLP. You know, there's a whole body out there of open source code right now around natural language. So I don't have to reinvent that. You know? So we're building on top of a whole algorithms that are being developed for various things that we're, we're leveraging. Yeah. It's mind boggling really, when you think about like
0: where, because it feels like we're close, but sometimes I also feel like it's far away. I always joke with other people when I'm on the show how you might be checking on your order let's use an airline, any airline, you'll be like, you know, what would you like to do? Change seats. Uh, it's like, yeah. Where? It's like, I don't understand. What is the exact code you would And just because a really, really rudimentary, like data heavy process, you just happen to be reading it. And then half the time, it didn't understand you. You know, so it always, I always could, could not confound it, but I don't I even know the right word, but it's, I'm hopeful, but also realistic. in the idea that a lot of NLP is actually, I would argue that NLP is a a bigger barrier to AI than, than, uh, than using like automation, than, uh, than anything else, because people just don't talk. How many times have you called on Siri and where it's like, I don't know what you want. <laughs> Calling Google assistant.
1: Like, I don't know what you want to do. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's gotta, you know, P I mean, the, that interface, as I'm saying, you know, that's a piece of itself, right. Getting the conversation, you're getting the interface down to a point where it's easy to interact with your AI assistant, you know, you know, so it's on par with a, your new employee. You know, because if it's not, then it's, you know, no one's going to use it, right? If it's too hard to interact with. Yeah, because it makes you have to be a developer. But, you know, it's <laughs> funny you, know, you say where we are, you know, it's in our lifetime, right? You know, questions, you know, in our lifetime are, you know, are we going to see it, you know, is it going to become illegal to drive, right? You now, are we going to start to see self-driving cars get a better safety record than humans? What do you think? You, know, you kind of see that day coming. I think, you know, probably within our lifetime, we will see the point where self-driving cars get a better safety record. You know, and then we'll be faced with this. Should you be allowed to drive anymore? You know, When self driving cars are safer than humans. I'll tell you what,
0: I can't wait for that day because then when I wake up to go surfing early in the morning, I can just get in my car and just take a nap and show up at the beach.
1: That'd be fantastic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Believe me, I'm, I'm waiting for the day when my car can take me up to Mount Shasta without me having to, you know, I can take a nap while, while, while it gets me there.
0: <laughs> Bob, you know what it's time for? It's time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Bob, this is where we ask you fast questions, fast answers, so that our audience can get to know you outside of the world of MIST. Are you ready? <laughs> ready as ever. <laughs> All right. Your Twitter bio states that you are a lover of wine. Are you a red wine drink, red or white wine drinker?
1: Oh, come on, do you have any side question? I mean, red, I mean, if you're gonna drink wine, you know, it's it's more of a health matter than anything else. Yeah,
0: you're doing it for your health. <laughs> what is your favorite accessible red wine? Please don't say something that's like, you know, some unbelievable price point where no one, none of our audience can can get it.
1: <laughs> well, no, yeah, that's, that's, that's an unfair question because I make one barrel of wine a year. You know, so I've got uh, every year I make a barrel of Mr. State. Okay. It's kind of a cab. Caps are all blend. And every year, I put it into different oaks—American, French, Hungarian, heavy toast, medium toast. I would say, so far, up to date, Miss State and Hungarian medium toast is winning the uh, the taste taste offs now.
0: That is fantastic. I didn't realize you made your own. That is great.
1: Yeah, this is this is a hobby I started. You know, probably ten years ago. You know, I'm an engineer at heart, right? I don't know about you, but I was like, I had a hard time believing all this wine. You know, can all these variables make a difference?
0: And what have you learned?
1: I, I will tell you that. What I've learned is making wine is harder than making wireless work.
0: <laughs> it is harder to make a great wine than it is to make
1: a wi AI enabled uh, Wi-Fi network. I, I mean, I, I, can make, I can make wireless work very consistently. You know, trying to make a great wine year on year is, you know, a little more challenging. I
0: read an article about how um, the creator of White Claw actually never really wanted to make it. Like they were making, they were trying to be build up a vineyard. And then White Claw, I
1: guess, was a secondary thing that the person made and eventually, of course, took off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you talk about machine learning, you know, I probably thought about just apply some data science, you know, can you think that with this wine thing, we just, you know, hey, we just, you know, figure out what's in the wine. We just, you know, repeat it, right? Add a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So we get very repeatable results. That's not quite turns out the uh, nature has a lot more variables going with it than wireless does. <laughs> Talk about some of your hobbies. What do you like to do outside
0: of making wine and building companies?
1: Uh, you know, see, what is a favorite hobby? Skiing is probably the other, you know, between skiing and surfing. Those are probably my two big outdoor mountain biking, okay? the mountain biking adventure. Let's say that's probably my latest adventures. Yeah. Broke my first bone.
0: How's that recovering?
1: I'm back to 95%. I'm not sure it'll ever get back to a hundred, but it's close enough to- Turns out you don't need much of an ankle to ride a mountain bike. <laughs>
0: well, we see you back out on the mountain bike trails very soon. Yeah, I'm out. I was out there this morning, so we're back, you
1: know, we're back to functional.
0: There we go. This is this is great. We keep talking and we keep in, encountering and meeting new leaders of uh, you know, CTOs, CIOs, VPs, CTOs, all different types of people, outdoorsmen too, or outdoors women too. This is awesome. So when you go on mountain biking, do you listen to music or do you just listen to the listen to nature?
1: Well, the, the two I, I do both actually. I listen to music and then actually my, uh, my CEO buddy, Sujay, and I usually go out together. So usually it's kind of a combination, you know, executive meeting plus a little music on the way down.
0: <laughs> there you go. When you go, what kind of music or when you are listening to music, what kind of music do you listen to? Do you listen to
1: just music or do you also listen to podcasts or anything to learn? Yeah. My combination, Grateful Dead, Eagles, Rolling Stones, Fan, I would say the other thing I picked up, my other hobby I picked up was learning the guitar two years ago. It turn, turns out, you know, those are the type of things you need to learn when you're a kid. There are certain things that are <laughs> easier to learn. You know, guitar, surfing, or those both are both, you know, my recommendation is if you're young, do it now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. All skills that require a physical dexterity and, you know, basically limitless time to master because uh, as you probably know from picking up a guitar, no matter how much you practice, there's always that person that just seems better than you.
1: Yeah, they just yeah. There's, there's. I don't know if you, I don't know. Do you play guitar? I do. Yes. Okay. So you you learn when you learn. You were a kid when you when you start the adventure. You
0: know, I started playing guitar when I was 13 years old. And uh um, yeah, yeah, I yeah, thought yeah. I got pretty good, but then I started trying to play like Satriani and Van Halen and stuff like that. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't play it. But then there's always that kid. That you always know someone when you take guitar, and I'm sure you've encountered the same where it seems like as soon as they pick it up, they're a maestro. They're like they're wailing right
1: out the gate. Yeah, that, that's that's annoying. That's the same with surfing. You go out there and you <laughs> see these, you know, these old guys who are surfing their kids, they can pop up, you know, on any given wave they see, you
0: know. <laughs> well, Bob. We appreciate you joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing your vision and future and plus your career all in the networking space and how AI is going to change networking. And now that we know Bob is a maker of wine, he is an adventurer. He listens to the Grateful Dead. He rocks, plays guitar, and also surfing, mountain biking, skiing. Man, you're like a renaissance man. Plus you do AI. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. All those topics are dear to my heart. Bob, thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks
1: for having me. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experiences, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform.